Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Project Freelance. This week on the podcast, I'm super excited to be talking with one of my best buds, Jake Monroe. You may know him from YouTube. He is known as Goth Daddy. And this week, we're going to be talking about how he built his empire as a content creator, how he built a business around himself, uh, around a brand that he created. We're going to be talking about his band Monroe. We're going to be talking about all kinds of different things, streaming, gameplay, all kinds of stuff in this podcast. And I hope you stick around all the way to the end. Jake and I are actually, when you're listening to this, we are embarking on a journey across America from San Diego, California to Nashville, Tennessee. Jake flew across the world just to come spend some time with me while I drive across the country. He's actually going to be driving as well, which is great. Figured out that he will be able to drive the car as well. So that will help with the driving load. So I'm super excited about that. So if you guys want to keep up with our journey, you can uh, check out all the content on either Jake's YouTube channel or on the just the letter K or no tracers YouTube channel. I don't know which one I'm putting this stuff on yet, but we'll see what happens. So before we get into this episode, there's just a couple things I got to let you know about. The first of which being, I actually have a photography book called No Tracers, An Urban Explorer's Diary. It's all about exploring abandoned places. It's a photography book that I put together of my photos and my stories of times that I've gone into abandoned places. And I would love for you to check it out. Pick up a copy at justtheletterk.com slash no tracers. Secondly, if you are a new listener to Project Freelance, please hit the subscribe button. There are new episodes almost every single week. I try to get them out every Monday and 2022. I'm going to be ramping this up and we're going to be back with full force podcasting. I'm super excited for this year and all the things that are to come. But closing out 2021, I thought we would just jump into this episode and close out the year with it. If you are a veteran listener, if you've been listening for one episode or 500,000 episodes, I haven't done that many podcasts, let's be real. But no matter how many you've listened to, if you like the show, please leave a rating and feedback on the podcast. It helps me grow, especially on the Apple podcast charts. So if you guys like the show, leave a rating and feedback. It means a lot to me. And lastly, I need to thank our partner on this podcast, Liquid Death Mountain Water. If you've never heard of Liquid Death, well, hey, I have an ad for you in three, two, one. Welcome to a new kind of experience that is not for the faint of heart. A new kind of water straight from the Austrian Alps, packaged in beautifully rugged aluminum cans. So if you want to stand out, if you want to murder your thirst and give back to the planet, give liquid death a try. The only thing that stands between you and the reaper is a can of liquid death. Not for the faint of heart. Liquid Death is actually giving us some cases of water for our trip, and I'm super excited to have water on the trip. It's so important, and the fact that we aren't going to be buying a bunch of plastic water bottles that are most likely going to end up in landfills means the world to me. So, Liquid Death, thank you guys for partnering with me and supporting everything that I do. I really appreciate you guys. Without further ado, Jake Monroe, welcome to the podcast. Please introduce yourself and what it is you do to the Project Freelance audience. Hi, I'm Jake Monroe. I am a YouTuber and also singer-songwriter for Monroe, as well as audiobooks and uh, other uh, 
projects to come. And uh, super excited to be here with my best bud, Kay. What's it, how's it going? Oh, yeah. It's going. It is going. It's uh, rainy today. I was supposed to go outside and film some stuff, but it's pouring down rain, so that is uh, not happening today. Yeah, so we had to pull an, pull an audible, and it never rains here in California, so when it does, you're like, well, what what the fuck <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> what, what, what do I do with all this time that I have now? So tell me what like came first for you. Like, What was your initial inception into like creative works? Well, it, it it was something I always wanted to do. It's always been, I mean, God, I mean, I could go as far back as being 11 years old. But uh, I think it, it really started as um, intent, like the intention to be a self-sustaining artist creative or a self-sustaining creative uh, whenever I first moved to Northern Ireland from Wales. And uh, I was flat broke. And I convinced my grandparents to take out a loan for me in their name uh, since they could get such a good rate. They've been paid back. There was no issues with paying them back. Um, in case anyone was thinking I was <laughs> not not good on my word. Um, and with the loan, I got the most basic-ass uh, home studio set up. I had like a, a, a Mac... Oh, it wasn't it wasn't an uh, it wasn't a Mac Pro. What was the one before that? It was like a Mac Tower uh, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and uh, I got one of those off eBay for like three hundred bucks or something, and cheapest screens I could find, cheapest audio interface I could find, um, and I got into Periphery like two weeks before I bought everything. So I I got crazy into Gent, and I bought a seven string. <laughs> Uh, Shekta Hellraiser C7. It was an X music video guitar, so it was only it was like half price. Um, and I sat down, and it was literally within the first year of moving to to Northern Ireland. I got everything shipped over from my old house. Um, and while I was working, uh, like doing a full time job, I was also writing my first album, Time Feels Revenge, which came out ended up coming out in 2013. It took that long to do. <laughs> I mean, I don't think people realize how long it takes for music to actually be completed and come Especially out. Like, album, can you talk yeah. more about that? Like the process, like, an, yeah, exactly. An album. I mean, I'm finishing a, or I finished a seven track and I don't even know when it's coming out because there's like this whole other process after you release, after you finish something, like before you can release yeah. it. I mean, for me, like we're talking to labels and we're doing that whole thing. So it's like we don't know when this is going to come out. And now the songs are like two, three years old. And it's like, are these dated now? Like there's this whole other like quandary that we have at this point. So like, can you talk more about like how long it takes to create a piece of music? Well, yeah, I think especially whenever it comes to uh, independent creation, there's a much longer time scale because there's, unlike a lot of things that we deal with, you know, like uh, creating YouTube videos and let me just put the phone on silent, creating YouTube videos or doing, uh, you know, videographer work um, or release a, releasing a song under a label. Um, all those things have deadlines. And I think you're like me, Kay, like you work really well if there's a deadline. Um, yeah, if, for if sure. If there's no deadline, then it seldom gets done um, because then you prioritize work that does have a deadline first. Um I mean, you were you were at my place a few weeks ago, and I showed you an album that I wrote again. It's like seven or eight tracks, and it's been sitting there for the mm -hmm. last two and a half years. 
because it just doesn't have a deadline. So I think creating music independently, especially as a solo artist, I think, you know, it it takes so much longer because there is that arbitrary, um, that, you know, inescapable uh, concept, that inescapable situation where you don't have a deadline. So that's one of the hardest things to overcome is trying to get something finished that doesn't need to be finished. Especially when exactly. you're working on other things, you know. So it it, it can yeah, take exactly. years. Like we, you can initially write everything in a, in a week, but then you you have to like master it or do the you know fix the vocals or fix the mix or you know then there's the music videos or if you just want to release it independently on YouTube or if you want to like actually release under under a label or if you plan to tour on it. Like there's like so many things, and the fact that again it, it has no need to be released, it's a lot of work for something like that, you know. Hmm. Yeah. And I think the only time there that we like can make a deadline is if it's like, um, like situation, like if it's a situational album, like for example, the, the pandemic album that I did and you're featured on one of the songs, like that, obviously we were kind of under a time constraint because we didn't know when the pandemic was going to be over. And like, here we are, what, two and a half years later, like still, kind of in a pandemic like it's still relevant now but like we thought it was going to be like three months you know so we were like okay we have to have a deadline of like june or july and like put it out then because like we don't know how long this is going to last and we want it to remain relevant during that time and we had written those songs in 2018 and they just didn't have vocals or lyrics at all until the pandemic like struck and i was like inspired to write about the situation that we were all in and so yeah i I totally get what you mean about like deadlines and and that kind of thing and can you talk more about like your music background like how did you learn how to play guitar like when did you start doing vocals that kind of stuff okay um well playing guitar um that happened because of guns and roses um i remember very specifically when which is fantastic (laughs) usually these moments are fleeting and not recorded to long-term memory, but I remember very specifically exactly the moment when I knew I wanted to play guitar. And my dad's old boss back in like 2002, 2001, 2001, um, he collected guitars and uh, he had this really awesome guitar collection, but he was really, really into like uh, 80s rock, uh, some late 70s rock. So he listened to a lot of like, you know, Guns N' Roses, ACDC, that kind of stuff. A lot of very guitar heavy bands. And uh, I remember being in the, in the truck with him because uh, he had to pick me up from school or something like that. And uh, he put on this cassette tape uh, of Guns N' Roses. And Sweet Child of Mine came on, first time I'd ever heard the song. And it was the uncut guitar solo of Sweet Child of Mine. And I actually... it. I remember sitting there in the truck, just having my mind like just perpetually blown with each note of this guitar solo. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) That was absolutely insane. He was like, yeah, that's that's Slash from Guns N' Roses. And uh, from literally from that moment, I was for my birthday, for my 11th birthday, I was like, I need a guitar. I want an electric guitar. That's 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 what I want because I want to be able to play stuff like that. And then whenever it came to doing vocals, vocals came out of necessity um, because I've always struggled to make a band. And I, I it took me a long time to realize why. 
because I didn't understand at the time because I always tried to make a band and I, I just never could. I couldn't keep members. I just couldn't keep members in the band. Whereas everyone around me was just having a great time all playing in a band together. And it's because whenever I was trying to make a band, I made it immediately clear that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Whereas no one else I, uh, you know, uh, for lack of another word, at this very moment, hired uh, into the band, the, you know, they just wanted something a little more casual. Um, so I, I know now, thinking back, that I must have been very intense. Uh, I approached it immediately from, uh, from a business standpoint as well as a passion project. And I, I knew how, how I wanted it to sound and I knew where I wanted it to go. And I think maybe that was too much for people. So I couldn't keep people in the band. So I eventually, whenever I finished college and I moved to Northern Ireland and I got that home studio, um, I made quite a, quite a solid stance on being a solo project. And I was like, I'm not waiting on anyone anymore. I'm not waiting for the bassist to learn his parts so we can forget them the next week. I'm not going to wait for the drummer to, you know, remember to show up or even answer his phone. You know, I'm actually just going to do everything. I, I Googled, you know, drum software and TuneTrack was doing some good stuff at the time. Still are. Still using Superior Drummer. And uh, I just did all my own stuff. And that was the, one of the first times. I'd had, I had done it previously. Um, that was one of the first times that I actually got up in front of the mic and I did my own vocals. I'd learned how to scream about a, two, three years before, um, but I'd only ever done one song and it was terrible. <laughs> so whenever it came to do Time Feels Revenge, it was purely out of necessity and I was not good at it and I was really frustrated. I just, I didn't, I didn't have a good mind connection with my voice at all. Um, I honestly don't know why. I think honestly, I think a lot, a lot of vocals is honestly quite genetic. I, you know, there are some people who just open their mouths and just this incredible sound comes out, and some people like me take years and years and years to just sound average. You know. Yeah. No, I I completely agree with you on that. Like I I feel the same way about my own vocals, especially singing. You know, like I'm not a naturally gifted singer. Screaming, I can do in my sleep with my hands tied behind my yeah. back. Like that's easy. But singing is like a whole other beast that I just am still trying to comprehend, honestly. But so take me into like college. Like what did you study in, in university? Uh, music tech, music technology. Nice. Um, because I knew I, it was almost as if I knew, you know, what I what I wanted. You know, it was to be able to produce my own music. That was immediately what I wanted to do. Like there was a there's a lot of stuff with music I could have done, you know, like I could have learned how to be a better guitarist, but like that is and you know, this isn't to disparage anyone out there who is currently doing it or has done it, uh like session musicians, for example, but taking a a formal course on being better at your instrument it, it's it it's ultimately redundant. You know, it, you can just practice, you know, you can just practice and practice. And like, that's what I did. I became one of the best guitarists in my college because I brought my guitar into college every single day and I practiced sweet picking over and over and over and over. And I listened to Jeff Loomis, uh, his uh, Zero Water Phase album. And I listened to that over and over and I, I, I played it by ear and I could play the entire album. And I was just constantly pushing my limits and I had no friends, you know, I didn't have anyone to go out with and go drinking with on the weekends. So I literally just, whenever I wasn't in college, I'd just stay at home and just lock myself in my room and just, you know, play guitar. 
uh, all day, every day. But yeah, I went to college to study music technology so I could uh, produce my own music, so remove more people from the equation, you know, more middlemen between me and creating. Yeah. I think that learning an instrument is similar to learning a new language. Oh, like yeah. you can, you can take all the classes you want and they'll teach you the formal like way to, you know, speak a language or play guitar or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like you have to dive into the culture of like guitar playing or language, whatever it is that you're, you're trying to learn and you have to immerse yourself in it in order to become uh, a professional at it and become fluent in that, that language, whether it's actual speaking or an instrument. So I, I agree that, you know, going to school to become better at your, your instrument of choice, like, isn't really that necessary because you need to invest the time in yourself. And, you know, I went to, to film school, I have a bachelor's in film production and I, I knew I wanted to pursue film full time as like a freelancer. And I feel like I learned more after I left school just from doing things hands on instead of instead of learning in school. Hold on, let me shut the door. These dogs are going crazy. <laughs> I don't know if they do this in America, but over here in the UK we have um we have road races where they'll um they'll cone off and close roads like public roads um to create a racetrack for like official races because <laughs> the track is just like the the circuit's just so good and it's 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 for motorbikes and not, and not cars, I don't think. Um so we have like the Isle of Man TT uh, and we also have one in Northern Ireland. Um, and one of one of the televised, you know, professional circuits, I live right next to it. So whenever it's not being used professionally by all the, you know, professional races, you have a bunch of guys uh, and girls as well. I've seen them uh, taking their, you know, souped up cars and motorbikes to that circuit to do a professional route. And I live right next to where you get onto it. So I hear like V8s and inline fours and race exhausts like several times a day, especially on Sundays. Oh my God. Wait, so you guys like legally do this? Uh -huh. Yeah, they, um, they close the, they close <laughs> like this. It's like a little countryside circuit and they, they yeah. cone it off and close the roads. Um, and they, they wow. create this circuit because it, because it's just so good. You know, the roads just happen to make like a fantastic, uh, racetrack. So we do, you know, we have like racetrack races, but we also have uh, these these public racetracks as well. That's crazy. See, I'm from Oklahoma and they just would have two people on either side of the street and they would just tell people to stop and they would do illegal drag races. They would just do the races <laughs> like they there was nothing legal about it, but they would just do them. And it was the coolest thing ever. And I was like, I like grew up next to this main street that was like super long and very smooth and so they would always use that road so i grew up with like similar sounds you know that you're talking yeah. about just going up and down the road and it's cool that you guys do that like legally and they like televise it and stuff like i grew up where it was like hella illegal and like they just did it to do it oh we do those too <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sure so let's get into your youtube background like when did that start for you like when did you start creating content on YouTube and have you gone back and watched any of those like initial videos that you have on there? Uh, yes, I have. Um, so YouTube, the whole YouTube thing actually started while I was doing the first album. Um, because I, I was afflicted with, uh, 
terrible, terrible depression when I was writing the first album because like I was 18, 19 years old. I just moved into my own place in another country and I was like living independently and uh, no, no help from parents either. Not that much from my dad anyway. And um, I had this job that I hated and it was just grinding me to pieces. That's when I realized I'm one of those people that just can't do nine to five. Some people can, but there are, you know, most people can, but occasionally there are those people who just can't. It's creative types specifically. They can't do nine to fives. They can't work for people. They can't do Monday to Fridays. It just, it just destroys them in every possible way. Like, you know, mental oppression becomes, you know, physical afflictions and you just can't go on. And that's what I was going through at the time. You know, I was so, I, I'd gone through all my teens just so uh, determined to be big and famous and creative and not once did I ever think of doing a nine to five and yet there I was doing it and it was just, you know, it was scary. But uh, at the time, because um, I, I, I had watched, because uh, YouTube came out when I was in college. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, weird to think. But YouTube sort of, YouTube came out. <laughs> We're old. <laughs> YouTube came out while I was in college. And um, one of my favorite animators was uh, Ego Raptor, uh, a.k.a. Aaron Hansen of Game Grumps. And I was also a fan of JonTron as well at the time. Uh, not so much now. Um and they made an announcement on their channel after I moved to Northern Ireland. Uh, they're like, hey, we're, we're making a channel called Game Grumps, and it's going to be Let's Play, and it's going to be goofy fun. And I was like, that's great, because I love John Troy and love Aaron, so I'm going to watch that. So whenever I got, like, crazy, crazy depression, I made a note of when they said the first video was going to be, and I uh, was there, and I watched it. And, like, for that, for those 10 minutes of them playing Kirby or Omega Man, I think it was, like, both they released in that day. For those 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day, I like literally forgot that I had depression. And it, it just sort of like, it's, it's like whenever you get like a nasal decongestant and you can actually like breathe through your nose <laughs> for the first time in a week of having the flu. And you're just yeah. like, oh my God, I forgot how good this feels. That's what it was like. So, you know, watching Game Grumps sort of allowed me, gave me the mental freedom to like write music after a really shitty day of work. Um, and then a couple of years, once I released the album, uh, JonTron left uh, Game Grumps and that deeply upset me. I just couldn't handle it at all. Um, and it sort of destroyed, you know, this safe space that I had. But thankfully I, I was, I had gotten over um, the depression that I had to a degree. And, uh, I decided that, you know, I, the way they had helped me was so important. It was so essential for me to be able to do things in my life that I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do for other people. You know, while the music was being written and released to like Bandcamp or something, because like, I don't think Spotify was even <laughs> doing like right. public uploads at the time. I don't think like when did Spotify come about? I don't think Spotify was even around. Um, yeah, I'm not sure actually. Yeah, because I I definitely did not know Spotify back then. Um, so while that was while my music was you know had been released and I was just sort of 
promoting it. I was like, what I want to do now is I want to do a Let's Play channel where I get to, you know, be funny and make content for people to watch and hopefully alleviate some of their stress for 10 to 20 minutes a day. Um, so I, I researched the hell out of it. At the time, there was not a lot of information on Google on how to create a Let's Play setup. <laughs> um, so I sort of had to just figure it out, you know, from like the occasional YouTube comment or Reddit comment or Yahoo answers, like of people who all had different, um, different setups and different ideas of how it could work. Uh, so I did the best I could and I, I managed to create this haphazard little thrown together weird setup that worked. And, uh, I use my, uh, music equipment, like my microphone and, uh, my music, you know, my uh, recording computer and stuff for, for audio. And I had a capture card that didn't need a PC cause I was too broke to buy a PC recorded directly to a hard drive. <laughs> and, uh, I recorded... I did two episodes a day, every day for two years. Of, wow. Uh, yeah. Ten minute, ten minute episodes, <laughs> twice a day, every day Damn. for two years. And that was during a full-time job. Holy shit. Yeah, so I, you just dived into the deep end. Yeah, I just wanted to be there for people. And, you know, I, I got those comments. Wow. I got those comments, man. Like, I was uh, doing it for a couple of months and people were just like, Oh, I'm so glad you uploaded. I've had such a shit day. Like you guys just make me feel so much better. Just hearing people just have, have, like chat in the background. It just makes me forget. I'm like, mm. I'm, I am that thing to these people now. I'm what Game Grumps yeah. was to me. I'm that to other people. I've basically succeeded in what I wanted to do. Like I didn't want to make, like obviously making money off it would, would be great. But my initial motivation for doing it was wanting to, you know, take that stress away from people for just a little bit wow yeah and i mean you you've gone obviously you're about to hit five hundred thousand on there like what what has the growth been like for you like how long did it take because i know there's people that are listening to this that are like i want to be a youtuber like how does this work and it's different for everybody obviously but like your personal story like how how was that growth for you over the years and did you ever see like a was there ever a moment where it like popped off yeah i mean that's the only way it happens on youtube is it explodes yeah there's no slow growth about it um either it explodes or you don't grow that's literally how it works and i think that's how it is with all social media um because mm -hmm. it, social media is such a fast creature unless you're big at the moment then it you know nothing you create can honestly permeate so you, you you need to be big by you know by doing it quickly because it, it it's always it's always such a violent process going viral <laughs> you know yeah like you'll do you'll do For something sure. and it'll get picked up by some godly algorithm and uh just your phone explodes because you know you're a small creator at the time so you have all your notifications on just to catch anything you know because you're, right. you're told that you need to like reply to everybody or you know you need to like every yeah. comment or you need to be present and everything so whenever you're you know whenever it explodes you know it's um all your notifications are still on so your phone literally blows the <laughs> hell up but the the whole the, the the timeline of how i got to where i am now is actually insane and it's it's literally the dev definition of of never giving up, never quitting, never knowing when to stop. And I'll tell you my mentality about it. And it, honestly, it made it a lot easier for when things got hard. And uh, so I started doing uh, YouTube in 2014. 
for seven years. And I've only been a popular YouTuber, um, so to speak, uh, for two of those years, for the last two years. Yeah, so five years of constant, non-stop creating with no rewards. And so I did, so it started in 2014. That's when I started doing YouTube. That's when I was doing the gaming channel, Metal Ass Gaming at the time, MAG, uh, for the acronym. And uh, I was doing a full-time job Monday to Friday. And as at the, on the end of Friday, I would set up my living room because I didn't have any other room in my house. I had to, to completely dismantle and destroy my living room with a green screen and bring my studio uh, equipment from upstairs to downstairs, uh, hook up the TV to all the games consoles. And then on Saturday, my friend come over, uh, John, who I used to work with, and, uh, and we got on really well. Um, I was like, that'd be really good for, you know, natural conversation and jokes and stuff like that. Cause we were just, you know, funny, always laughing. Um, so then we would literally record all day on Saturday. So he'd show up at 12 and then he'd leave at 2 AM. Um, so we would be recording episodes all day. Uh, yeah. So you have to remember it's like 14 episodes a week. Shit. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, wow. so we'd record all day Saturday and then he'd leave at 2am. So he'd leave and then I'd have to fix my living room again because it was a complete bomb site. And then I'd have to export all of the audio, all of the camera footage from the camera, and then all of the captured footage from, from the hard drive, so three separate sources. I'd have to export it all onto the one hard drive, and then on Sunday, I would literally spend all day editing. So I'd wake up, get breakfast, go into my studio, and I'd edit all day. And I'd, I'd edit all 14 episodes in one day. Yeah, so I'd, I'd wake up and i That I'd, is maniacal, dude. <laughs> so it's what I wanted to do, and I was like, and I'll tell you my mentality oh my that God. makes it easy to do. And uh, so I'd start editing at like 10 a.m., and I wouldn't go to bed until about 3 a.m., and like I'd go to, like, I'd, I'd go through every single episode in the list that I'd edited, because I'd edit them first and then export them all. So then before I went to bed, ah. I'd right-click uh, right export every single episode, all 14. So then when I woke up in the morning, usually about three quarters of them had finished being exported. So then I'd set episode one and two, you know, for Monday. Um, I'd, yeah. I'd, you know, set those up to upload before I left for work. So I'd wake up in the morning, I'd go into my studio, find that, you know, the, the first at least the first two episodes have exported. I'd set them to upload to YouTube. I'd go downstairs, get breakfast, and then I'd go to work. While I was at work, I'd log into my YouTube channel and finish doing the titles and the descriptions and all that <laughs> shit and set it to schedule upload at 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. because we were working to American time. Um, right. Because only Americans watch YouTube, apparently. And, and that was all before the boss got in. Um, so I'd get into work and I'd actually finish doing my YouTube stuff in work on a work computer. Uh, so I'd set the titles <laughs> and everything like that, set the description, set the scheduling, and then boom, save, done. So I can, you know, finish work, get back home. And then as soon as I got back home on Monday, I would then upload everything else. So then Tuesday through wow. to Friday, um, it was just work, you know, nine to five day job situation. And then on Saturday, it would start all over again. 
And that wasn't like every other weekend. That wasn't on a weekend I felt like doing it. That was every single weekend for two years. I didn't have a single weekend off. I didn't go out drinking. I didn't go out traveling. I didn't like be like, ah, I don't feel like doing it. Every single weekend, every single one. I sacrificed every single weekend to make that work. And the mentality wow. that I had to make sure that I did that was the, whenever it gets hard, that is the exact moment when things can happen. Yeah. So if it's easy, if you're having a fun time, things likely aren't going to like spark and explode and take off, you know, because you're motivated. It's easy to do shit when you're motivated. But whenever you're, mm. whenever things start getting difficult, that is the, that is the moment where you need to prove you, to yourself that this is what you want to do. And because I knew that's yeah. what I wanted to do, whenever things got hard, it was easy for me to keep going. I'm like, oh shit, this is hard to do. Right. This is the opportune moment to start striking while the iron is hot. You know, when things are difficult, this is when I feel weirdly the most motivated, motivated to start doing better at what I'm doing, because this is what they call paying your dues. You know, the, yeah. these are the hard times that every YouTuber talks about after they've made it. And I'm like, I'm living these hard times. I'm living my story that I'm going to be telling when I'm successful. So if I quit now, I don't have this story. If I quit now, there's, there's no success. So the fact that it's hard means that it's working. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, and I mean, it's just like, it's, it's hard. Good. I'm glad it's hard. That means it's fucking working. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I feel like a lot of people give up before they, they hit that success point. And like you said, like they don't get to tell their story because they, they just ended their book too soon. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I always had like a small resentment for people like that. Like people who said they have these dreams and as soon as it gets hard, they just quit. You know, it was hard mm -hmm. to have sympathy for those kinds of people. Cause I'm just like, then you, you, you didn't dream hard enough. You know, it wasn't visible enough in your head or it just, you know, you, you became complacent or you realized that your dream isn't worth the hard work, but like mine was like, I absolutely knew what it was that I wanted to do. And, you know, I, I would look at my life rather than day to day. I'd look at my life as a whole and be like 40 years from now, like, what do I want to be doing? I'm like, definitely not working for Concentrics or Symantec or whatever the f company was at the time. And I was just like, yeah, I absolutely don't want to be working nine to five, especially for someone else. And that just made it so easy to yeah. get through the tough times. So easy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then. For sure. Yeah. Having that. Yeah. Go the ahead. Next step. Um, so. After two, two to three years of doing that, um, John left um, because unfortunately he was one of those people who, as soon as it became hard, couldn't handle it. Um, and that sort of pissed me off, really pissed me off. Um, but I can't expect it. I mean, and, and that is the exact reason why I was a solo artist. My, my entire life has always been the second I add other people into my projects, everything falls to fucking pieces because no one ever handles my dream or handles, you know, my creative property with as much care as I do. You know, as soon as things get hard, I've just watched people leave. And then because they've, they've had a stake in what I do, they've had a responsibility in something that I've done. I can't, it can't be done without them. Or now I have more work to do. Uh, that's pretty much all 
my creative career has been. So I try and limit the amount of people who are involved in what I do as much as I possibly can. Because uh, I've had nothing but bad experiences with it. Uh, and it still happens. Uh, I've had a, an entire... Incubus doesn't have a music video. So our, our biggest single, Incubus, doesn't have a music video because I trusted... I finally trusted a videographer to, to shoot the video for us rather than me doing it. So I'd be in makeup, shooting the rest of the guys, and then I'd set the camera up, get in front of it, and then I'd do my stuff. I was like, we're going to get a videographer for this. Um... I finally trusted a videographer with it. And the, the, literally the night before, Lubomir was in the, in the air. He was flying over. We'd all gotten the day off work. Uh, Connor was up, coming up on the train from Dublin. He'd got the day off work, and that was like a pain in the ass. The night before, the guy was just like, yeah, I can't do it, sorry. Need, I need more money. And I was like, well, I can't. I can't well, you can have more money if you want, but like, I, I don't have it right now. And then he was like, oh, okay. Also, I can't stay past 6 p.m. I'm like, mate, we're going to start filming at 6 p.m. Like, we have promo stuff to shoot up until 6 and, and prep. Like, we're meant to be shooting all weekend. But yeah, and then he ditched, ducked out, and uh, ruined the entire video, so then we had to settle for a lyric video. And I, I, I sometimes lose sleep thinking about what that video could have been. What it could God have meant. Damn. Yeah, huh? So this is why I, I trust very few people with my creative property. Um, because I've, I've had nothing but perpetual disappointment. Um, so after those two to three years of doing YouTube with John, John left, um, hid my resentment about it, you know, because apparently things were already hard on him, even though I was the one who did everything anyway, but whatever. Um, <clears throat> and then our good friend PewDiePie. PewDiePie. Uh, yeah, PewDiePie decided to do... I can't even remember what it was he did anymore. Oh, I think it may have been something Nazi-related. But oh, uh, yes. Uh-huh. Um, he, he made a boo-boo. He sure triggered, did. <laughs> yeah, he triggered Adpocalypse number one. Yep. Uh-huh. And uh, MAG was no longer financially sustainable after that um by that point after after two years after a year and a half of working my ass off by the way i was able to leave my full-time job and do mag full-time wow um even though we weren't that big a channel at all um because i approached it from a business standpoint i made it as profitable as a channel that size could possibly be and thankfully living in northern, northern ireland is very cheap um so i was able to quit my job and do uh youtube full-time uh, I think by 2016 that happened. So that was really good. Um, so when Adpocalypse hit and I saw our meager ad revenue become even more insignificant, um, I started to panic. And then we have uh, along came a Logan Paul who decided Indeed. to go to Japan. Oh, God. Uh-huh. Oh, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> this was shortly, by the way, just to put myself into the story, this was shortly after I filmed Logan Paul uh, at my friend's reptile zoo. Uh, I he My buddy owns a reptile zoo in Southern California, and he called me one day and he was like, hey, uh, this uh, YouTuber named Logan Paul is coming in. Can you come film behind the scenes? I was like, yeah, I don't know who the fuck that is. So that was the first time I met Logan. And... Uh, and then continue your story, cause, because the the shit he did was just ridiculous. Yeah, he, he seems to have matured a lot. Agreed. 
he's over his mid-twenties now, which is usually where people start to calm the fuck down. Um, but, uh, yeah, he went to Tokyo. He went to, well, he went to Japan and then he went to the suicide forest and he filmed a, uh, suicide victim hanging from a tree and did a crass YouTube reaction face to it. And, uh, mainstream media caught wind of it. And then when mainstream media took all that evidence to, uh, big brands, brands who usually pay a lot of money to advertise on YouTube. They all pulled their, their funding. They all pulled their, uh, their ads from YouTube and, uh, the money dropped even more, uh, to the point where I was in a really tough spot and I had to make a choice. And the decision I had to make was go back to full-time work and, you know, try and rebuild MAG on YouTube or adapt, change, and try and find another way to, you know, stay profitable and that's when I decided to learn Twitch. Streaming is a completely, completely different beast to recording game footage. Um, everything's done on the fly. So there's no post-production at all. Everything needs to sound good as it's happening. Everything needs to look good as it's happening. You can't just, you know, fix it in post. Um, so that was... Very, very stressful. So I had, uh, you know, I had to spend what little savings I had and what little time I had on learning what streaming was and how it worked. And in a time where streaming wasn't really that big, there wasn't really a lot of hardware for it. A lot of it was sort of thrown together and very uh, makeshift. You know, there was a lot of technology that was being used incorrectly in order to make this shit work. And... uh <clears throat> I had to learn how to stream. I had to buy all the streaming equipment. Um, and because I wanted it to sound as, as good as it possibly could, I ended up spending more money than I needed to by buying things that I thought were going to work and didn't. So that was heartbreaking. So I'd spent all the time I had and all the savings we had on building this pretty decent streaming setup. And we started streaming on Twitch. And uh, at the time, Twitch was not very popular. Like people on YouTube had no idea what the fuck Twitch was or how Twitch works. Um, and people were very, very stubborn about coming off of YouTube because the second they went onto Twitch.tv, they were like, what the hell is this? You know, what is this user interface? I have no idea how this works. Fuck this. I'm out. So we lost a lot of our fan base, a lot of our fan base. And, but the one we did have was extremely supportive and, and very generous and very kind, as you've seen on my streams, um, to this day, this, they're still incredibly kind and generous, very supportive. And that's what it was like on Twitch. So we managed, I managed to save MAG by taking the entire concept and moving house to another platform. And there we stayed on Twitch until uh, it ended in 2018. Wow. Uh -huh. Damn. And then... <laughs> In 2018, let's see, I went through a mass, another massive dose of depression, really, really bad, because I had decided to, do, to take up daily vlogging alongside uh, Which is doing the Twitch. most detrimental thing you can do to yourself. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, oh, I mean, God. and you'll know this too, because you've, you've told me about it, yeah. and it was the same experience I had, like, whenever Casey was doing his daily vlogging thing, like, vlogging was a massive thing on YouTube mm -hmm. when he was doing it. Um, you know, we all did it because it, it's a fantastic way to 
be creative. You know, it's like a constant flex, you know, yeah. who can be the most cinematic, who can get the best looking camera, the best lenses, like, because everything was so run and gun at the time. Like nobody knew really what to use or how to film, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Casey was using a DSLR to fucking vlog because that's what he'd worked with before, not because it was what was good for vlogging. Yeah. You know? Um, so then you had a bunch of kids, like, just running around with DSLRs, like, filming themselves out in public, which is not what DSLRs are for. <laughs> you know, it was just experimental constantly. So I was always adapting and being almost at the forefront of a lot of things. Or at least in the early stages of a, of a lot of concepts and a lot of uh, platforms. Uh, or even just a lot of topics. And, uh, you know, I did daily vlogging and I, I was, because I, I kind of wanted to have my own name, you know, because Metalized Gaming was um, visually um, cooperative. Um, even though, you know, all the production... And uploading and editing, like literally everything was done by myself. There were still two people on that couch. Um, I wanted to branch off on my own and do my own channel and see if I could make that big as well, you know, because, you know, money was only sustainable at that point. It wasn't comfortable. And uh, I decided to drop the alternative side of myself, you know, like the sort of um, J-Rocky gothic aesthetic that I had My most of my adult life all my adult life most of my teen years so I decided to tone myself down in order to be more um marketable you know uh I have have a broader demographic if I was normal looking and that really fucked me up mentally it was really detrimental to my mental health not being able to be who I wanted to be trying to fit into where I wasn't going to and uh, after two years of it, and just not, like, I, I, was, I was breaking my balls. I was, like, busting my ass trying to do daily vlogging and, and be successful and make it. And uh, it, after two years, it just wasn't happening, and it was super crazy hard work. And it was the hardest it had ever felt because I wasn't being me. At least on MAG, I was, you know, so when things got hard, you know, it was, it was literally just the work that needed to be done. But with my daily vlogging, it was like, it was hard work, but it was also, I wasn't able to be authentically myself. And I got, I I had this incredibly potent personality. um, I don't want to say disorder, but it was just a lack of personal identity. And I was just so miserable. I was so, so depressed. And the fact that I couldn't, work through the tough times was messing with me even more because for the first time I I wasn't able to work through something that was difficult and I didn't know what I wanted because I was like I'm not myself I don't know if I want to keep doing this but I can't stop doing it because I've never quit on anything ever and uh, then I went to I daily vlogged to an alternative clothing convention and while I was there I uh I sort of, uh, Kaya uh, inspired me to put on makeup again and dress alternative, um, you know, mainly because I think she didn't want to be there with a normal looking boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, you can't look like that here. Fair. Um, so I, I got dressed up. I put the contact lenses in and I put the big boots on and 
And at first I was like, because I hadn't worn it in a while, I was just like, man, I feel like, feel so uncomfortable. And then mm. within an hour, I was just like, fuck, I feel like me again. And I, I, I watched the vlog and it's, it's like, it's like watching me wake up wow. for the first time in, in two years. And then as soon as I got back from uh, this event, this alternative clothing event in London, I got back and then I, I was, I was like, I was fully, oh, it was such a tough moment. I was like, okay, I'm going to start doing, you know, gothy ass stuff again. I'm going to put on clothes and, and makeup and I'm going to, you know, do sit down videos and I'm going to vlog wearing makeup and contact lenses and dyeing my hair crazy colors and wearing all these crazy clothes. And my audience up until that point hadn't seen me like that at all. And I was afraid that I was going to do a video. I was going to upload this video of me looking completely different. And I was going to ruin my, my channel. I was going to like kill it dead. I'm going to upload this video and everyone in the comments is going to be like, what the fuck? Why does he look like that? Unsubscribe. And then that was going to be it. It was going to die. And I was so depressed and I was in such a tough situation that I was willing to try anything. I was like, I need to just be myself again. Like, if this fails, at least I get to just be me. And I uploaded the video. And everyone was super accepting of it. And they were like, whoa, it's so good to see you like this again. And it's amazing to see how happy you are. You know, it's like, you look way different, but, you know, I dig it. And I was just like, whoa, this is so cool. And I was finally able to create content on my own personal channel again. But... Even though it was hard, I felt a lot happier working on it, you know, because it was something creative that I actually wanted to do. I was, I was able to, you know, authentically be myself on the channel. And then I, you know, I started getting a few questions like, so like, are you a goth or like what? And then I was like, oh, I should probably answer that question. And then I made a video called, why do I dress like this? Am I goth? And I made that video just as we flew out to Birmingham to play one of the worst gig experiences of my life. The show was fire. The entire experience, on the other hand, was just the worst. But I uploaded that video, and it was set to upload the first night I was in Birmingham to, to set up to, to play. And while I was there, that video blew the fuck up. It exploded. For the first time in my YouTube career, in four, five years, four and a half, a video I uploaded had taken off. Like I, wa I was watching the views explode. It was literally the, the, the roadrunner that the coyote has been trying to <laughs> get this entire time. You know, it was the Sasquatch in the forest that no one's ever seen. And he's right there bending over, spreading his fucking cheek. <laughs> like as a small creator, every time you hit upload, every single time a video goes live, you look at the numbers, you wait and you see to, if it's gonna, if those numbers are gonna explode and start racking up faster than usual, or if comments start coming in super fast, like, is it, has it happened? Like you're constantly uploading things in the hopes that it's going to go viral or it's going to get picked up by the algorithm and you start getting those fast notifications or you start getting those fast numbers growing like, oh my God, it's happening. My career is about to happen, you know? <laughs> I'd, be hunt I'd been hunting that since 2014. Yeah. And I uploaded this video. I didn't even think about it. 
I wasn't even like, this is going to be my big video. Didn't even think about it. I just uploaded a video and I just went to go play the show. And I checked my phone. It had been up for like two hours and it had like, I think, no, no, no. It had been up for 10 hours and it had like 20,000 views. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, what the, what the fuck? For, For context, whenever I upload a video back then in 10 hours, I'd have about a thousand views. Sure. Maybe. But this had like 25,000 views and it was like growing fast. Like by the, I think in, within a few days it had like 100,000 views or something like that. Wow. And like, I don't know what it was, but like I had gotten more subscribers from that than some people get from a video that has millions of views. Right. So I don't know what it was about me that or whatever I was putting out there, but it, it made people want to subscribe. So wow. even though the views were still only like 80,000, 100,000, 150,000 at some point, like, which is qu- quite low whenever we're talking about virals. Sure. Um, even though the, the views weren't that high, the amount of subscribers from those views was ridiculous, really, really high. And uh, yeah, my channel absolutely exploded. And the second I got back from Birmingham, I hit the ground running. I was releasing content all the time all the time and I was trying new things constantly I was you know I was winging it sometimes like literally hitting record on the camera and just being like yeah okay so we're going to be doing a dramatic (laughs) reading of, of something or you know there's two videos where there's two videos where, like, I was uploading content and it was getting, like, 40,000 views in a day. Everything I uploaded was wow. getting 40,000 views. Holy Anything shit. I thought of within 24 <laughs> hours was getting 40K views. Whatever I, whatever I thought of. I was finally able to, like, not have to try and think of, like, a popular video to do. Yeah. Like, literally anything I did was gold. I could just do whatever I wanted. It was the most, oh, it was the most liberating feeling ever. And it was such a power trip. But uh, I remember being like, fuck, I can do anything now. So I literally put makeup on, had a tight shot on my face, sat down in front of this microphone. And I literally, and this is no joke, I literally did a improv story on the spot. And there's two of them. Uh, There's a romance one and there's a horror one. I literally sit down and I'm just like, hey. So today what I'm going to do is uh, improv a story on the spot and let's do it. So I had no, I had nothing written down, no script, nothing. I literally sat there and just came up with an entire story as I, as I was saying it. And uh, that was one of those moments where I was just like, this is awesome. I can just do whatever I want. And then, you know, the usual thing happens where the viral potential of a video runs out. Yeah. And you know, there's no longer people seeing your viral video and then seeing the new one you've uploaded. So not everything you upload is gold anymore. You actually have to build on the the audience that are, you know, actually there. Right. Um, and then, you know, throughout the years since 2018, I've released, um, you know, the Drunk Goth Reacts to E-Girls, which mm. was another viral that was like 1.5 million. It's at now. And um, I did a bunch of other reaction videos that all went really really big like 800,000 um I did my Linkin Park cover which is like nearly a million views now um so I just kept hitting like new virals like every few months and that would just spark more huge growth and it's because 
I, a lot of people would be like, wow, okay, so I have a huge video and all these people are coming in. I'm just going to relax now. I saw the, I did the complete opposite. I was like, my channel's just taken off. This is when the real fucking work starts. Yeah. And I, I was uploading constantly my entire life for like a year and a half was just all about content creation. I was always editing or I was in my studio thinking of new videos or, you know, I was working in social media. And I did that f- since 2018 up until this point. And it's, you know, it's still going. That's so the entire timeline. When, when you hit 100K, like what, that's like a huge milestone for people on YouTube. Like what, what, how did you feel? Like what was your reaction to that? It was, it was really weird because that 100,000 subscribers for the longest time had been my only goal. Right. Because I thought it was such a humble goal, you know, like, because at the time I wanted 100,000 subscribers. That was a lot. Um, but by the time I hit it, it was no longer a lot. Um, so whenever I hit 100K, I was so, like, I literally hadn't thought past it. It was the strangest thing. You know, I like I, I set a goal that I didn't think I was going to achieve, but I wasn't going to stop until I did. And then I hit it and I hit the hell out of it. And I was just like, it's not enough. <laughs> I've, I've literally never thought about this, but it's not enough. You know, I need more. I need to do more. I need to achieve more. I need to do more for people. And it was, I didn't know what I wanted. You know, I hit the 100,000. At one point, I was like, "That, well, you did it, kid. Like, this is what you wanted. And I'm like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I hit 100,000. I was absolutely ecstatic because that was the only goal I had set myself. And I'd hit it. And I, And then I had that sort of, remorse you know that achievers mm-hmm. remorse you know where you get the gold or you win first place or you you know you win the science fair or whatever you achieve the the one thing you fucking wanted and now you don't have a goal anymore so now that work ethic it's just like what what do i do with it and yeah i hit the hundred thousand i didn't really know what to do but i i knew it wasn't enough and i, I didn't know where to go with it after that you know, I was like, what's my next goal? 500,000? A million? Like, wow, a million is ridiculous. But now here I am, half of it. Yeah. Like a year later. In a year. I, I think I made like an extra 300,000 subscribers in a Holy year. Holy shit. Yeah. And uh, it just grew like crazy. And it wow. it slowed down a little now, but that's because Monroe has become such a such mm-hmm. a, a prominent part of my career now. Right. Um, I no longer have that that time to spend on doing YouTube constantly. So it's not that like I'm freaking out that my channel's not growing anymore. I've achieved a lot of things I wanted to achieve, you know? Um, so the fact that I'm not growing exponentially anymore, like, you know, I still get a few hundred a day, um, which is going to equate to 500,000 in like a few months or a month, mm-hmm. a few weeks. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's going to grow. Or it's not going to grow as fast, or it's going to go cr- grow quick. I don't really care. You know, I've I've sort of achieved a lot of the things I wanted to achieve. A million subscribers would be great, but I've seen a million subscriber channels that don't do great. You know, yeah. I've seen five hundred thousand channel uh, sub channels that do fantastic. So I think after a certain point, subscribers really they don't really matter that much anymore. And it, it became it, it becomes more about your how healthy your viewership is. Yeah. And. Uh, 
Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say after about two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, it 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 doesn't really matter how many subs you have anymore. Because like I've seen channels who have six hundred thousand subscribers and they get like ten thousand views per video. Right. So what what the fuck does subscribers matter really? Yeah. If you're, if as your a creator, you're not, a shit. Yeah, yeah. So it's more just trying to make sure that the videos I'm uploading are fulfilling my current viewer base, but also bringing in enough people and they're they're happy with seeing it whether they subscribe or not yeah you know it's all about trying to make sure the videos i upload do well that's that's my main focus i don't really care about growing anymore sure and with monroe like talk about what your plans are your goals are with that because i know that that's like you said taking up more of your time and more of your energy now than your youtube stuff which i think is great that you have like this other project this other passion that you're you're diving into and and doing more of so talk about the goals with monroe what you have coming up and i mean you you just got off a headlining tour like talk about that a little bit as well sure sure I'll, yeah um so my goal for monroe um it's, it's not humble um <laughs> i want to rule the fucking world yeah yeah i want monroe to be that fucking band you know that everyone fucking talks about all the time. Mm. You know, it's like, did you see the new Monroe video? Like, oh my God, like, they look so cool. Like, the, the song is so amazing. Did you hear his voice, the guitar tone? Like, I want people to just be fucking obsessed with it. Everyone. Everyone in the alternative community. So much buzz about it that we bleed into the mainstream. Like Slipknot. Yeah. You know, like Slipknot are so big, disturbed as well. Yeah. You know, like, all these huge iconic bands they're, they're so big now that even the mainstream can't ignore it they have to acknowledge that we're fucking here mm-hmm. you know like the alternative subcultures are here and we exist and we're passionate and we're fucking loud that's what I want for Monroe I want Monroe, Monroe to be huge I'm not saying that's going to happen in the next year you know you, you can't reach icon status in just a few short years but Monroe is going to be going for 10 years 20 years 30 years but it'll happen eventually Monroe will be that huge big fucking band and i'm gonna make sure that's gonna happen because i literally can't stop doing it you know it's it, like monroe's coming up to 10 years now uh 2013 it started as a solo project um so in 2023 it'll it'll be 10 years and i'm, I'm gonna do something i'm gonna do something for it might re-release the first album as a you know re-recorded completely yeah, that's an interesting uh, concept. I I talked yeah. to my my band in Australia that I was in for a year and a half about like re-releasing those songs and they were like, "Nope, we're not doing that. They suck." I was like, "Come on, man. It would be fun just to like redo that kind of stuff." But I mean, I think it's a cool idea. So I think you should totally pursue that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean to to differ greatly, I I'm extremely proud of my first songs from sure. 2013. I think they're fucking phenomenal. They're not mixed well at all. Yeah. Um, but I poured so much of my heart into that more heart than I think I've poured into anything since. Um, be, mainly because I was just so desperate to write music in that first album mm-hmm. that I did literally anything and everything, uh, for those songs. And it's the strangest, most eclectic stuff. But yeah, I, I want to re-record some of the some of the better tracks on that album and uh and re-release them reimagined remastered not remastered completely redone from the ground up as you know like if i was to write them again today mm. that's that's what they'd sound like um but yeah that's what i want for monroe i want i want headline tours sold out shows 
Speaking of sold out shows, uh, inaugural tour for Monroe, UK tour. Uh, I was a little bit apprehensive, a little bit of trepidation going into doing a UK tour because my my fan base and my viewer base is not based in the UK at all, at all. Like if you look if you look at my analytics on YouTube or even on Spotify, we don't get a lot of recognition in the UK at all, or Europe. Um, America is far, far better at recognizing, uh, something that's unique. Mm -hmm. Um, they're far better at spotting trends and they're, they're, they're far hungrier whenever it comes to content. People in the UK and Europe tend to be more focused on drinking themselves to death. (laughs) I mean, they don't really seem yeah. to give a flying fuck about anyone else <laughs> except for themselves. Um, but despite that, we started the headline tour, our first ever headline tour, as a technically unknown band um, with a sold-out show in Glasgow. And that was... I... And I still recall it. It's gonna be burned in my in my memory forever. No matter who I become or where I go, it's it's gonna be there, completely untainted by anything, because it's it's such a pure memory. I remember being by the side of the stage after being escorted up to the you know the performance room by security, and uh, the intro song is playing, and we hadn't played a show in two years, and the last show we played was in Birmingham, and it was an absolute shit show. The show was great, but my experience was horrific. I nearly, I nearly knocked out another member of the, um, of the other band. Um, but I bit my tongue, and I was like, no, if I knock his ass out, the show is canceled, and everyone who came here to see us will be disappointed, so I can't. And, uh, and I'm standing there by the side of the stage, sold-out show. And people are chanting. They're chanting my name. They're chanting, let's fucking go. They're screaming. They're shouting. They're super excited. And I'm like, this isn't me opening for a bigger band. This is a headline show. These people are screaming and shouting and bought tickets. And they're in here right now. In this cramped, in this, you know, because it's sold out. So everyone's like shoulder to shoulder. They're all here because they want to see me in the band. And that, before I was even on stage, I was like, this is the most phenomenal feeling that I, up until this point in my 30 years on this planet, have never felt. Ever. This is new. This is a new feeling. It's a new emotion. And the intro song plays, the guys step on stage, and there's like applause as each one of those guys get on. And then the point in the intro song comes when it's time for me to go on stage. And I'm wearing in-ears, right? I'm wearing... uh, noise cancelling in ear monitors. So I I can't hear anything, right? But despite that, I walk up on stage and I can hear the crowd through the noise cancelling earbuds that I'm wearing. And they erupt when I go on stage. They they just explode and it was the most intense noise and intense feeling at the same time. It was overwhelming. And it's not something I'm ever gonna forget. And uh, the next show after that was in Manchester. Um, it was nearly sold out. I think it was like 220 people out of 250 capacity. 
Um, that was incredible with the circular stage. Uh, yeah, it was really awesome. Um, really cool venue. Um, and then the show after that was in Birmingham, I think. Uh, great turnout for that as well. Loads of people there. Uh, getting sick on the tour was less than desirable. Um, cause I got sick. I got really sick. Um, but I didn't, I didn't cancel a single show. Uh, we did a limited set in Nottingham, which I regret to this day. But I, I know it was necessary to make it limited because the, the show the night after was in London and the London show was sold out and there was going to be big people there, important people. And, uh, I needed to make sure I had the energy to, to put on the, the best show I possibly could. Um, but despite that, the people in Nottingham were amazing, and I had a great time. I had a great time doing a limited set in Nottingham. I really did. That Glasgow show, like, I I remember, because, you know, obviously I'm there filming everything, and right, right before yeah. you went on stage, like, it was one of those situations, hearing the crowd and experiencing that with you, like, it was one of those things where, I was so excited for you that all I could do was like laugh because I could like, there was no other emotion that I could like express my excitement with. And I was just like giggling to myself with excitement for you. Like it was such a cool experience. Cause I mean, it was my first time seeing Monroe play as well. You know, my first time interacting with you and the band and to see you guys like in your element, do your thing. Like it was so inspirational for, for me as, as an artist as well, you know, to see, that, Hey, like this, this is possible for, for anybody, you know, and you've built this following over the years that I, I tell people it's like a cult following. Like you have a very passionate following and it's amazing to see mm. them come out for you and show up for you and, and support you in anything and everything that you do. I mean, from creating content to playing shows, to making like merch items, like, like your plushie that you just made that oversold what your, your goal was for that. Like, it's, it's incredible to see the support of your fan base and like, can you like, just talk a little bit more about that and like what that's meant to you as, as a creator to have such a, a loyal and, and kind fan base? Yeah. Well, it is, it is, it's, it's, I've struggled to put it into words articulately over the years because it's one of the most incredible feelings to especially to have a cult following not a not a casual or a passive following these people that follow me and watch my stuff are dedicated and they're incredibly kind to each other and me um and they're amazingly supportive and you know these could be you know words are cheap so let me just give you an example i needed a mental health break i burnt the fuck out right i couldn't create anything anymore so i stepped away from doing youtube for three weeks which is a death sentence, right? <laughs> Especially if you create two it. to three times a week, every yep. single week, taking three weeks off. It's like, you've lost everyone, but mm -hmm. reset, start again. I took three weeks off. I came back with a video and I got 50,000 views in a day on that new video. Everyone was still there. They were waiting for me. They were worried about me. And I uploaded and all the comments were just like, God, I'm so glad you're back. We're still here. And that, to me, showed so much about my audience 
that it was valuable to know that. And that was like learning that about my audience was, um, it was really important, you know, to, to know that, you know, I can think they're dedicated, but I, I can't know until something like this happens. So that was amazing. Um, I did it again a few months after because of Monroe, like Monroe took up so much time and I was away again for three weeks and I came back, same thing. I came back like 45, 50,000 views in a day, 24 hours uh, within the video being uploaded, you know, 40,000, 50,000. And it was awesome to know that I can take these breaks and work on other things. And when I come back, people are still there. And, uh, but in terms of what it's like to actually have this kind of audience and to have the support that they provide, I've, I keep telling people the easiest way to describe it is like, it's like having a cheat code for life. You know, yeah. it's like playing a video game and you, you, you know, you triangle circle X up down start circle, like, <laughs> and like, boom, you got all guns or all money or, you know, you unlock that house or whatever. <laughs> but it's like having a cheat code for real life. Anything I want to do, anything I want to do. If I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I want to release a t-shirt or I want, I feel like being a comedian or, you know, I, here's a Patreon or you know, I, I feel like being a musician or literally anything I want to do on any platform or anything creative, literally anything I want to do. If I tell my audience about it, it immediately becomes success successful. It immediately does well. People go to it and they're like, this is amazing. I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I need it. I want it. I'm supporting it. It and is I don't, amazing. Yeah, I don't have to do that. That... Uh, that's slog anymore. I yeah. don't have to do, you know, the the working, the constant, like, grind with with no reward. You know, whether or not you're actually going to get the reward at all. Like, being a small creator is a living hell. It really... Because you have to work as hard as a professional YouTuber just without any of the rewards. Yeah. You know? Mm. It's soul-destroying. But it's something you have to go through in order to get one of the most incredible things in the world, which is a dedicated following. In today's day and age, having a dedicated online following, you can do anything you want. Yeah. You know, like whatever you feel like, whatever you want to do creatively, it's going to, you know, it's going to succeed. It, it, it is honestly phenomenal to, to have that kind of immediate gratification. Oh yeah, Definitely. And so what's next for you? Like, what do you want to do from this point? I mean, the world is kind of, I mean, we just kind of went into a lockdown again, but it's kind of opening back up again. And I'm sure a bunch of your followers want to know, like, are you going to vlog more? Like, and you just started doing moto vlogs as well. Like we didn't even talk about the moto vlogs. Like you're, you're creating content that other people create, but in a way that a vlogger would create it. Like you're doing it in a way that is unique to you and you're doing it better than other people are doing it and i mean i don't even watch moto content but like yours is so entertaining you have to watch it <laughs> it's so entertaining i, so I have to agree i do I, yeah. I agree um it was it's honestly strange because you know you know i'm a vlogger and i was pretty good at it and uh i whenever i started because i've been into motorcycles for a long time but i just never had the money for it but you know having a su successful YouTube channel means, you know, you, you have some 
you know, disposable income to start pursuing some of your hobbies or interests that you never could before. And uh, I was finally able to indulge myself uh, and pursue motorcycles. And boy, did I get into motorbikes. Jesus Christ. So I, I watched YouTube channels on how to ride them, you know, and, and the different kinds of bikes and the different powers and, and the, the, the different terminologies and the, the vernacular that's used and, you know, the, everything to do with bikes. And the vlogger in me was just like, how, the, how do I take what I have done with vlogging with, you know, being cinematic and telling a story? setting up shots and audio and making sure visually everything is looking fantastic, like dynamic range and, you know, uh, custom uh, LUTs and stuff like that and color grading and, you know, compressors and making the audio sound crisp and, and great, like getting that quality that's so, that, that keeps people watching. Like if, if you dip in quality, people click away. So you, you, it's keeping that, that, you know, the best quality you can possibly do. How do I apply that to a bike? Because I've seen, I watched so many motorbike channels, so many motorbike, motorbike vlogs. And I'm like, this is not, then, then none of them are vloggers. They're motor, they're motorcycle guys who are just trying to convey information on a motorbike. So a lot of it is lacking that sort of cinematic vlogger flair because there's not a lot of vloggers who are motorcyclists. And Whenever I got my motorcycle license, the first thing I, I did was research how I can apply, you know, my cinematic vlogging style to a motorbike. And it took me a long time and I got a lot of, I got a lot of, you know, mounts and clips and cameras and all sorts of shit that didn't quite work. And uh, been through a bunch of mics for my helmet and, you know, different uh recording devices and uh, all sorts of things that I tried and tested. Same with streaming. It was just I bought like a lot of stuff, you know, stuff that people didn't even say worked. People, stuff that people never even talked about. I was like, that mic might work with this audio recorder and I could, I could mount that on the back rather than having it in my pocket like everyone else does. I can mount it on the back of the helmet and I can put this in, in here so it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, shielded from the wind. And I came up with this incredible setup and people watch my vlogs and they're like, how are you floating? Like, like, is there a drone following you? Like, why, why is the camera floating above the bike? Why can I see everything? Why is this so like easy to watch? And the audio is fantastic. It sounds like you're in a studio, but it's in your helmet. Like, how, how is the camera floating above you? Even when you're walking around, like I did the research. And I, I looked into the best possible way I could do a vlog on a motorbike and I applied it. And, you know, it, it, to this day, out of everything I create, other than music, visually creating motovlogs is, is, is my favorite thing to do. It's, it's that creative thing that I do that I get the most satisfaction out of creating. I love doing motovlogs. Oh, and they're so sick. Are you so? Are you gonna keep doing those on your channel? Are you wanting to do like a new channel for the Moto Vlogs exclusively? Like, what is your plan for that kind of stuff? I honestly don't know. I mean, I do have plans to make a motorcycle channel with a friend, um, but I don't think I'm gonna do solo vlogs on it. I think that's gonna be mm -hmm. all duo stuff. But cool. I'm, uh, I'm getting a little bored 
of reaction videos to certain topics. Reaction videos, you know, they're always going to be on my channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but three reaction videos a week is, um, it's starting to get a little difficult uh, to do motivation-wise, you know. Um, and, you know, f- fuck motivation. Like, it's it's such a pointless thing. Like, people are always talking about how do I get motivated. You can't. You can't get motivated. You can get disciplined, but motivation is fleeting and sure. it's capricious and it comes and goes whenever it feels like it. What you need to do is become disciplined. So when you aren't motivated, you're still fucking making it. Yeah. And I'm the the discipline in me is telling me that making that many reaction videos is not it's not making me happy, you know. Yeah. Doing the occasional one is fun, but I can't just make one video a week. So I think what I'm going to do is in 2022, I'm going to be changing my content a bit. I'm going to be still doing reaction videos, but I'm going to be getting creative again, like I was in 2018, where I was just creating anything and everything to see what stuck. So I'm going to be trying a lot of very different things next year. Um, and I think I'm going to make bring vlogging back um, to be a weekly thing because I loved, loved vlogging. And uh, I did a vlog a few months ago um, just to see how well a vlog would do on my channel. And it did as well as a reaction video, so. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So that was awesome to see. I was really worried. Like, I could have I uploaded it and it could have done, like, what, 20,000 in, in 24 hours, which would have been, bye, not doing that again. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I got, like, 35,000 views, 40,000 views in 24-hour period, um, which is about as much as a reaction video sure. on an off day. Um, so I'm like, yeah, vlogs can totally work on this channel. Oh, man. Um, yeah, but we, we were still in the middle of a pandemic, so I couldn't really do much. So in 2022, um, motor vlogs, it's not going to be, you know, motor vlog, the vlog. Like I'm, I'm going to say it's a vlog about something. People will click it and they'll be like, oh, he's on a motorbike. Um, so, uh, motor vlogging will be integrated into just, Sick. you know, vlogging in general. Um, because I've noticed that having me in a helmet in the thumbnail does not work. <laughs> People need to see my face. Yeah. Otherwise, the video does not do well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to be doing vlogs. And what I've decided to do is where in a, in, a, in a usual vlog, you know, there's the cinematic stuff, there's the travel stuff. And then sometimes you just need to convey information. Yeah. And a lot of vloggers will sometimes drop the ball there and just sit you know, in a static shot or sit in a studio and just talk for 15 fucking minutes when the rest of the video was like, look at this place, look at this traveling, look at this crazy shot, look at this drone shot. And then 15 minutes of one shot yeah. of the of a talking head. And I'm guilty of that too. You know, especially when you're daily vlogging and you just need to get the fucking minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, yep. I've got three minutes of cinematic footage. I did not do a lot today. I'm just going to fill the next seven minutes with me talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a necessary tool man like yep. sometimes you have three minutes of content to make in a day you know yeah so you need to stretch it out a bit <laughs> but uh if i ever have any information that needs to com- be conveyed if i'm not going somewhere you know or if i'm not traveling or if i'm not doing something if i ever need to just do a sit down talking segment instead of like sitting down in my studio and just doing a talking se- segment Instead, I'll just jump on the motorbike and do a motovlog while conveying the same Sick. info because it's, you know, so much easier. It's so much more entertaining. Oh, you yeah. Know? It's all about like, 
trying to entertain the kid's face while you put the injection in their leg, you know, so that they don't cry. <laughs> Look at the keys. Look at the keys. Look at the keys. <laughs> and they're inoculated. And there we go. Oh my god. It's such a good comparison though. Like it's so true. Right. I think I think you're right and it's cool that you have a way to to do the that sit down segment while you're actually doing something else. I think that that is going to keep your audience entertained for sure. So, you're about to come over here. We're about to drive across the yeah. country together. Um tell me your thoughts about this and like just hype hype the people up because i'm fucking stoked for it i can't wait to vlog with you and do stuff that's like not just us working you know yeah 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 oh yeah i'm like i mean we we were fucking talking about this on tour yeah because we immediately we were like stepbrothers like did we just become best (laughs) friends yep Yep. like we had one of those moments on tour (laughs) and we were just like fuck it like we can't just not hang out yeah. Unless, like, except for when we're touring, we have to like actually hang out. Yeah. And we were just like, "Fuck yeah!" So, this part of some of the vlogging we I'm going to be doing next year is just me and you traveling and doing stuff yep. together, like going to like Prague or Tokyo, whatever. Oh just my god. Going places and doing stuff. And uh, yeah, I, like the step one of that is I, you know, I'm, we're doing this vlog together, driving across America, like seven eighths of it. Uh, <laughs> you know in a, in a truck just doing stuff like having fun uh no work you know no shows no loading or what the fuck is gas like none of this stuff <laughs> <laughs> which was like a running theme on where tour where the fuck is gas where the oh fuck is i'm gonna get a t-shirt with that on it <laughs> i'm dead oh my god yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm super stoked for it. I mean, I'm terrified of America. I really am. Um, because harmless. <laughs> I told we, we, yeah. I told everyone I was like, I'm gonna we're gonna do a vlog segment that's gonna be Kay takes a goth to Walmart. We're gonna just <laughs> I'll goth up like crazy for that. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be so <laughs> fucking funny. It, like it's gonna be like exactly we're not even on it yet and we're already fucking laughing our asses off just having a good time like it's gonna be the best fucking it's time it's gonna be so but good like, but like you know it's uh, here in Europe and the UK we get to see America from the outside yeah so we, we don't have like that American veil where it's just like everything's great Truman like <laughs> we get to see you know a lot of sketchy shit so Whenever it comes to traveling, because we're going to be doing the southern states. Oh yeah, <laughs> which don't get me wrong, are beautiful. Sure. Southern states are beautiful, and a lot of that a lot of the people are very kind and sweet and yes. nice. Like a lot of my, uh, a lot of my viewer base are from the the southern states, and uh, but I am very aware of the uh, the gun culture that exists down there, <laughs> um, and maybe some of the xenophobia that does too. Yes, and uh, I'm just afraid. You know, of pulling up to a gas station and getting shot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I laugh now. (laughs) (laughs) Next vlog segment. (laughs) Yeah. Nah, we'll be fine. Yeah, right. We'll be fine. fine. Like just, just our faces, like mouths open with a surprised (laughs) face, like in the thumbnail, like we get shot. (laughs) We get shot. (laughs) Clickbait as fuck. (laughs) Hey guys, we're at the gas and go and. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) 
Oh, it's going to be great. We're going to have a good time. I'm very yeah, excited. Like, I know that's like, it's very unlikely to happen, but you know, there is a little bit of fear. I'm super excited, crazy excited to go on this, this fucking adventure. Cause it's going to be an adventure. Yes. It's going to be our dumb and dumber. Oh, oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Ing. laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah, there's a little bit of fear. I'm just like, oh my god, what if we get like a sketchy motel? Which we're not gonna, by the way. Okay, I mean, I'm I'm down. It's fine, you know, it's fine. I've been in, we have this hotel chain or motel chain called Red Roof Inn. And it's like notorious for like meth, like heroin needles and like fucking black widow spiders crawling over your hand like it's so uh, no. sketchy and i've you know the first tour i ever went on we stayed in like five red roof ends and like literally it was like why is there blood under the blanket like what the fuck yeah we're not saying in red maybe once just for the experience <laughs> jake monroe goes to red roof Inn. jake monroe gets hepatitis from sleeping in a fucking bed in a red roof oh my god <laughs> But yeah, it's going to be great. I'm excited to do these adventures with you over the next yeah. Oh my god. It's Goth reacts to getting hepatitis in the red room. <laughs> bring, okay. bring your ring light. Let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, I'll bring the ring light. Fucking tripods. We'll, we'll get it all. It's going to be great. I'm very excited for it. Um, so I guess my, my last question for you really is what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started all of this? I don't know. I mean, I've, it's hard to say, not because there's, there's so many things. It's because I, I, I foresaw a lot of it. You know, like, I, I knew it was going to be hard, and I knew I was going to make it eventually, so that was no surprise. Um, you know, in the sense that, like, you're going to make it, kid. <gasps> really? You know, like, <laughs> none of that shit. Like, I'm going to be like, you made it, kid. I'll be like, yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I worked until I like, did, obviously. or I was going to die first. So, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I mean, honestly, if I was going to say anything to the version of myself before any of this started or when I was first starting out would be like, it's going to be as good as you think it's going to be. Mm. That's what I'd say. Like, it's going to be as good as you think it is. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to keep following your journey, where can they find you online? Drop your socials. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, youtube.com forward slash Jake Monroe, uh, M-U-N-R-O. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter which is uh, at Behold Monroe, same spelling. Uh, or you can follow me on Instagram where I post stories likely of the adventure that me and Kay are going to be going on as it happens. Uh, uh, at The Real Monroe. Only fans coming soon. <laughs> Only fans legitimately actually really coming soon. <laughs> oh boy. Well, yeah, that was uh, my best friend, Jake Monroe. Haha. <laughs> 
hope you guys like this podcast. Thanks for listening. If you did enjoy it, like I said at the beginning of the show, please leave a rating and feedback, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts. It helps the podcast grow. If you do leave a rating and feedback, send me a screenshot of it to Project Freelance on Instagram, and I will actually send you a signed photo print that I've taken of either an abandoned place or somewhere I've traveled to, or maybe a photo of Jake for this episode. We'll see what happens. (laughs) I do have a lot of photos of him from when we went on tour together, so maybe I'll talk to him about that. We'll see what happens. But thank you again for listening to Project Freelance. My name is Kay, just the letter K, and I will talk to you next time. Stay strong, keep enduring, go out, go explore something, and remember, Liquid Death Mountain Water, it's the best water, so just get it. (laughs) Use code just the letter K for 10% off your order. All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. Here's to 2022.